Last week, we finished off the Sermon on the Mount. And as, as we talked about, kind of as we went all through the Sermon on the Mount, not only was this Jesus correcting wrong teaching that was taking place, uh, correcting some wrong ideas that the people had, but it was also Jesus laying the foundation of his ministry. Now, he has already been doing miracles. He's already been teaching. But the Sermon on the Mount is like the send-off. Some people call it the manifesto of Jesus because he's explaining the state of mankind, but he's also explaining the heart of God the Father. And, and it sets the tone for all of Jesus' ministry. And when he finished the Sermon on the Mount, it says the people were astonished at his teaching because he taught with one having authority. Uh, and, and in the day, even the best rabbis, even the best teachers, wouldn't really take a stand personally on anything. They would always point to some other rabbi, usually somebody who is gone, you know, somebody that passed away years ago, so they didn't have to take responsibility. And if somebody went, well, I don't like that teaching, they'd go, well, bring it up with so-and-so. You know, it's, I was quoting him. And Jesus didn't do that. He was very clear to say, this is what you have heard. This is what's being taught. This is what the religious leaders are telling you. But I tell you this, here's, here's the misunderstanding, and now I'm going to tell you the truth. And so uh, in doing so, he's made this great connection with the common person, right? That there is hope, that there is a God in heaven that loves them, that cares about them. But he's also set himself at odds with the religious leaders because he's gone directly against their teaching. Things that they've said, this is what it's about, and this is what people need to do. And Jesus goes, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't be like the hypocrites. And everyone knew that's who he was referring to, is the religious leaders. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a huge thing that Jesus has just done here in the Sermon on the Mount. And now we get into chapter 8, where he goes down and begins doing much more ministry than what we've seen so far. Like I said, the other Gospels tell us he was doing other things before the Sermon on the Mount, but um, this is where we really see things take off in the Gospel of Matthew. And here in chapter 8, we're only going to go through half of it. I think there's two great examples, and I think they're great examples to us not only of humility, but of prayer. That when we seek the Lord, there's usually two main things that cause us to seek Him in desperation. Whether that's first, we personally are going through something, and that can be an illness, a sickness, or a need, whatever it might be. It brings us to our knees, and we've got nothing to lose. We've got to seek the Lord, right? And the other one is when it's somebody we care about. That, that we've done everything we can, they've done everything they know what to do. And, and it brings us to that same place, right? But rather than seeking it for ourselves, we're seeking it for another. And so we're going to see these uh, two great examples of desperate people. And, and I think the importance of desperate prayer. So let's pray and we'll get into chapter 8. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to gather, gather together in uh, this beautiful place on this day. We commit this time to you. We commit ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take your word and that you would change us with it. That you would give us ears to hear and a heart to receive. Lord, apply these things to our lives that we can live them out. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
So Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1 says, And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put it, put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately the leper was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Um, I think what a huge contrast this must have been. So Jesus has been teaching there on the mountain, and it's really more like a hill. I mean, it's not like Mauna Kea kind of mountain. It's, it's, it's just like a little poo, little hill. And so everybody's there and, and hearing this great teaching, blown away. And you know that everybody had to be asking themselves, is this the Messiah? I mean, what does all this mean? Here this guy's correcting the religious leaders. He's teaching as one having authority. He's telling us what God's heart is towards us. And so there's this great excitement and there's this great buzz as Jesus is finishing. He's coming down. That now Matthew says great multitudes were following him. Right? So understand, this is immediately after the Sermon on the Mount. And suddenly there is this guy with leprosy right in front of Jesus. And he falls down before him. That's what it, and he worshipped him. The idea that he falls right down before him. Leprosy was the most feared disease anywhere in Israel. Maybe in all of history. It is a horrible disease. And in this time, it was something that brought fear and panic if a leper approached a group of people it was more common that they would throw rocks at them to make them go away by law a leper had to shout unclean everywhere they went and so here is this like i said it's a huge contrast it was, it was almost as bad almost i was actually going to say that and I decided not to, so thank you. <laughs> then I don't have to. Yeah, almost as bad as a Delta variant. <laughs> so here's a celebration, and then suddenly here's this guy that would bring terror to the entire great multitude that's there following Jesus. The only thing in Israel that was considered more unclean than a leper was a dead body. That tells you kind of the scale that they were on, or how they were considered. They were considered really the walking dead. In the Middle Ages, someone with leprosy would receive their last rites as soon as they were diagnosed with leprosy. They might live another couple years, but they were considered dead already. So, one of the things that I find interesting is how did this guy get so close? Usually they would not allow them anywhere near a group of people. Maybe he was hidden. Maybe he was listening to Jesus' message and teaching. Whatever the reason is, suddenly he's there. And I love the fact that he doesn't question Jesus' power. What he questions is his willingness. The real question he's asking is, am I too far gone? Am I too unclean? 
Lord, I know you can. I just don't know if you're willing. And I think this is where we find ourselves sometimes when it comes to us seeking the Lord. We know he's got the power. We know that he's, he's got the ability. We question whether or not we've done something that's keeping him at a distance. And I think this is especially true for people who have maybe they've been on the fringes like this guy. They've been in their own hiding place and they've come to somehow hear the things of Jesus, maybe on the radio or they've come to church, but they're kind of in the back and they're hidden or whatever it might be. And they come, they, they get to a point where they're not questioning Jesus' ability. They're questioning his willingness. Lord, am I too far gone? Have I done too much wrong? Am I too unclean? I think these are real common questions for both the saved and the unsaved. Now, at the same time, I can't help but marvel at this guy's faith. That uh, his situation is hopeless. No one ever went into remission with leprosy. No one in Israel had ever been healed of, of leprosy. And so he's got nothing to lose. I think the only thing that would have been terrifying, he knew what the crowd's response would be. He knew what the people would say. The last hope that he had was Jesus. And if Jesus was the one to reject him, then there was no hope at all. Right? But the fact that he goes out and just makes himself a spectacle. Again, he could have sought Jesus quietly, individually. He could have somehow tracked Jesus down where there was only the 12, or maybe not even then. But instead, he goes out, and there's this great multitude following Jesus. And he's like, I'm not going to lose the opportunity. I got it right now. And he puts it all on the line. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now this, I think, uh, both of these cases, this and the centurion that we'll read about, but I, I think especially this one, I think shows so much insight into Jesus' character. And I love those parts of the Bible where when you read something, you're like, man, that reveals so much about who he is and his heart towards people. And this is one of them. Jesus goes out of his way sometimes uh, and far beyond whatever, what's required or what's expected for sure. Uh, he could have been a lot more subtle about this, right? And he could have chosen a lot of different opportunities to kind of self-edit. That's one of those things that's happening a lot in our society right now, is that we don't want to offend, we don't want to push anybody's buttons, we don't want to trigger anybody, so we'll just self-edit, right? We just, we'll just do whatever the, the crowd expects and try and make people happy. Still do the same things, but we'll just do it in a, in a more subtle way. Jesus goes out of his way to not be subtle. And a good example is healing on the Sabbath. You know, in all the, the examples where Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath, he did it on purpose to push the buttons of the religious leaders. He did it on purpose to not conform to social norms. He did it on purpose to show that people are more important than social norms and they're more important than man-made rules. And he does the same thing here. Because, 
first of all, by law, by Moses' law, the law in the Old Testament, to touch a leper made you unclean. But people have taken it even further to be even close to a leper made you unclean. In fact, it was six feet. I don't know why. That's interesting, though. <laughs> six feet, if you got within six foot of a leper, you were unclean. And Jesus could have healed this guy from six feet away. He could have healed him while he was teaching the message. Jesus knew this guy was there, and he could have just healed this guy at 20 feet, at 100 feet. But he makes a point of touching him. Now, the leper coming down into the group would have caused people to gasp. But when Jesus touched him, they would have screamed. It was the most, in their mind, disgusting thing he could have done. And it was completely unnecessary for him to heal. I like that Jesus breaks rules. I like the fact that he, those things that people expect him to do, he's like, no. I'm going to go further than that. Because, again, it was unnecessary for him to touch him, but I think it was necessary for that man to be touched. Because of his leprosy, he may have gone years without being touched by another human being. And so his question is, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus is saying, I'm more than willing. And he touches him. It blows me away. Again, it's the character of Jesus being revealed through his action. And to touch a leper, not only did they consider it unclean, it was a death sentence. So as Jesus did this, here's this amazing teacher everyone's excited about. And Jesus touches this guy and they're like, oh, no, what he's. Well, wait, the guy's not a leper anymore. <laughs> now what? Right. So he touched the leper, but the guy's not a leper. And Jesus just goes, there you go. You know, I love it. I love it. It's just. Again, completely unnecessary for him to do it that way, but he does it that way on purpose. Um, and then in verse 4, this is another part. Again, I, I just love the, the revealing of Jesus' character. In verse 4, Jesus tells him, see that you tell no one. Well, why would he do that? I mean, that seems like a pretty big deal, right? You, you think while Jesus doesn't like need people necessarily being his, his, his media outlet, it wouldn't be a bad thing to go, a few people know what happened here right and instead jesus goes no don't tell anybody instead i want you to go to the temple and offer the sacrifices that moses uh required as a testimony to the priests but why not let him tell anybody well uh mark records that he he didn't listen he went out and told everybody anyway Right. And so that's kind of what happened most times. Jesus is like, and by the way, could you not say anything about this? And they're like, oh, sure. And then they tell everyone you can't really blame them. Um, but Jesus primary purpose in coming here, God Almighty becoming one of us was not necessarily to teach or to heal or to do miracles. It was to save us from our sin. And so letting the hype and, and the overblown ideas of, of his miracles, he didn't want them to overshadow his purpose. There was also a timing to his purpose. The cross had to take place on an exact day. And, and pushing the buttons of, of the religious leaders and, and of Rome could have ushered that a little bit sooner, right? And so he tells him, 
Don't tell anybody. Again, the guy didn't listen. He told everybody anyhow. But he tells him to go to the temple and offer the sacrifices commanded by Moses as a, as a testimony to the priest. And this is another cool thing. So in the book of Deuter, or excuse me, the book of Leviticus, chapters 13 and 14, there is instruction given about leprosy. So how to identify it, what it means, how to keep yourself clean from it. But there's also instruction there in chapter 14 of Leviticus of when a person's healed from leprosy, what they do, that they go to the temple and they offer these sacrifices. No one in the entire history of Israel, no Jewish person had ever been healed of leprosy. Yet there's provision given for it in the Old Testament. Now there was uh, this, uh, the Syrian in 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman, that was healed, but he wasn't Jewish. He wouldn't have gone to the temple. And so here's this, this uh, instruction that has never been accessed. And this guy was going to walk in and go, hey, remember me? Because they would have known every leper. The priests were the ones that decided, that's leprosy, you're out, right? So they would have known who this guy was. Now he comes in fully restored and goes, and you need to offer those sacrifices that Moses told you to. And they're like, we're going to have to look that up because we've never done it before. You know, they would have had to dig into the books. And what was the point of that? It was to show the priests something is happening in Israel that has never happened before. Again, it wasn't necessarily proclaiming Jesus is Messiah. That would follow. That would happen. But it was letting them know this has never happened. This has never been recorded. We've never had to do this. And it was meant to be a testimony to those priests as a testimony to them is what jesus says now verse five goes on it says now when jesus had entered capernaum a centurion came to him and pleaded with him saying lord my servant is lying at home paralyzed dreadfully tormented and jesus said to him i will come and heal him the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And then Jesus said, excuse me, then Jesus heard it. He marveled and said to those who followed, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And the servant was healed that same hour. Again, we see a desperate man, but a very different person altogether. The Roman centurion uh, was typically a person who had served well, that they had found, been found not only worthy, but uh, very good leaders. They were known to be moral by Roman standards, but even the best of them would not typically go to anyone in Israel for anything. 
that Rome saw themselves very much above all of Israel. They ruled. Israel had been conquered. Israel had been an ongoing, difficult group. They were always stirring up trouble. And so there's a lot of contention between Romans and the Jewish people. And so for this centurion to come to Jesus is huge. To call him Lord is huge. These are not small things. It would be easier, easy for us to kind of just read right over that and go, okay, he's just being polite, he's being nice. No, this guy's in a place where he is desperate. And again, for Rome, um, this guy had access to the best medical care of the day, which was still pretty horrible. I mean, it, it wasn't great, right? One of the, the ways that they would try and cure people is to shove them in a dark room and cover them with snakes for a whole night. So not, not real medicine, but in the day they thought it was. And they certainly thought it was better than anything that Israel had to offer. And so here's a guy that in the world's view in that day seemed to have everything. And he comes to Jesus in this very humble way. In fact, it says that he's pleading with him. It shows great humility on the centurion's part because it would have lowered him in the eyes of the people of Israel that were there, and it definitely would have lowered him in the eyes of other Romans. That for him to take this place, it's a, it's a pretty dangerous place for him, actually. But he doesn't do it for himself, which again shows some pretty great character. He's not going there saying, hey, I need this, I need to be healed, I need something. He's going on behalf of another. And not just anyone. It's not his wife, it's not his child, it's his servant. Verse 6 says, Lord, my servant. Now, servant is a nice way of saying slave. This wasn't just a guy that, like, poured the water. He was property. And, and there's a big difference. So we've talked about slavery before. There's a big difference between the Roman type of slavery and the Hebrew slavery. Hebrew slavery that was laid out in the Old Testament was much more what we would consider today to be a labor contract. That you would agree to do a certain amount of work for seven years for somebody else. You'd be under contract. And in the seventh year, you'd be set free. But during that seven years, you had responsibilities. Now, you weren't considered property, and you most, most of the time, you'd go home to your family in the evening. You'd come back the next day. It's what we would consider a labor contract. That was not the case in Rome. A Roman slave was a slave for life. Very, very rarely were they set free or by their own way out. They were considered so low that the owner of a slave could put them to death at any time for any reason, and it wasn't considered a crime. It wasn't even considered bad form. They were property, like a horse or an animal. When it ceased to be useful, they could be put to death. Nobody ever questioned it. And so this guy has a slave servant that has become ill so ill they can't do their duties and it would have been in his right to either dismiss them or put them to death and instead he humbles himself on their behalf humbles himself on their behalf and is now pleading with jesus again this is a different guy this is an important uh 
aspect of his character that he's very humble. Now, while the leper, again, came asking for the Lord to, to heal him, to deal with his needs, this guy is seeking for somebody else. And Jesus agrees. I'll go with you. I'll go, go to your home, and, and, I'll, and I'll heal this guy. Again, this is a big deal, and we can roll right over it. This is another time that Jesus is breaking rules. See, in the Jewish mindset, a Hebrew would never enter the house of a Gentile, ever. Again, it would make them unclean. It would make them seem as a sinner or a, an outcast. And so Jesus, just come from this great teaching, this huge celebration that people are all excited about, this Roman comes, a hated person by Israel, and Jesus goes, sure, I'll go to your house. It's a big deal. And it's probably the main reason that this centurion says, no, Lord, I'm not worthy. He knows what that would do for Jesus. He knows how hard it would be for Jesus to enter his home. And so he says, no, no, I'm not worthy. Again, that, just that statement itself is very uncommon that a Roman would say that to a Hebrew. Um, now, again, this guy's faith is amazing because he understands something about the authority of Jesus that most people don't then or even today. And, and this is challenging to me because I think about this. I'm, I want to get this. I want to understand this, this guy's knowledge or understanding of, of Jesus' authority, right? It, and it's, I think there's a simplicity to it, but he also is, is kind of approaching it from the things that he understands, right? The things that he's seen and how he knows that authority works. And, I, and I understand, we need to understand that's the key is that he understands authority in his own life. And from that, he understands God's authority over everything. We live in a society that doesn't understand authority very well. In fact, authority is, is, tends to be a dirty word people don't like to say. We don't want anyone in authority over us. And actually, we don't want to be in authority over anybody else because we've got to take responsibility. And so let's just not have authority. Let's just dismiss those things of authority. And in doing so, we, we miss a lot about the character of Jesus Christ and his power in our lives. This guy got it. He tells Jesus, no, don't come to my house. Just say the word. Only speak the word in verse 8, and my servant will be healed. I think it's also cool that he understands that the power that Jesus has, the authority Jesus has, is within himself alone. In other words, it isn't up to the group to work up enough faith for Jesus to move. It isn't up to the masses to somehow get in line with what Jesus wants, and then he'll respond. This guy says, no, it's, it's all on you. You've got the authority. You've got the ability. You speak it, and it's done, and I know that. And again, he refers to himself going, I'm a man who's under authority and I have soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes and this one to come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this and he does it. I know how authority works. Again, this is part I think we miss in our in our society because somebody tells us to go and we go, why? And we ask someone, hey, come here. And they're like, no. And, and, and there's a, 
It's like everything's a debate. Everything's a discussion. And, and instead of just going, well, you're the one in charge. Okay, I'll do it. We go, well, I don't know if I agree with that. And I think we should take a vote. And let's just vote on it. <laughs> when it comes to the authority of God, we don't get a vote. When it comes to wrong and right and heaven and hell and eternity, we don't get a vote. And because we don't understand that in our own lives, person to person, employer and employee, parent and child, we kind of do the same thing with God. And he says, hey, I need you to do this. And we're like, "Ah, I don't know. I'll think about it. I'll take a vote on it. I'll see what everybody else thinks. And this guy says, no, I understand how authority works. You tell me it's done and it's done. That's all I need. Pretty amazing faith in Jesus. And again, the fact that this is not somebody who's been waiting for the Messiah. This isn't one of the religious leaders. This isn't one of the Jewish people. This is a Roman Gentile. This guy is as pagan as pagan gets, but he gets Jesus. And I think it's a cool thing for us to remember. There have been people that I've talked to who are as far from Jesus as you can go. But if you can get them to start talking about the Lord, sometimes there's an insight there that you're like, why haven't I ever understood that? Right? That from that broken, lost place, sometimes people have an insight about the character of God that we miss because we get caught up in all of our stuff and rules and things. And This wasn't somebody looking for the Messiah, but he found him all the same. And he put his trust in him to a level that goes so far beyond. This guy understands that Jesus has authority over all people, sickness over all creation. Everything must obey his word. That is a pretty amazing understanding at this point in Jesus' ministry. This guy says, you tell the sickness to leave, it's going to leave. It has to obey you. I know that. And yet we don't get that today. Now, again, a lot of times we'll pray for somebody. They don't get better. That isn't because we lacked faith necessarily. It's because God has a timing to it. God has a purpose in it. And we, we yield to his sovereignty. That isn't a lack of faith. But I think having the attitude that the centurion has is the right attitude. Lord, if you say it, it's done. But it's up to you if you say it or not. It doesn't bring your character into question. It doesn't bring your goodness into question. It's in your hands. But you say it. I know it's done. And this is another part that it just blows me away says that Jesus marveled at his faith. What do you got to do to make Jesus marvel at anything? That's pretty cool. I mean, I'm picturing the crowd there, right? And now they're in the town, and, and this guy comes up, and he, they have this conversation, and I just picture Jesus going, wow. You guys hear that? And all the disciples probably weren't even paying attention. What? You know, are we going to eat lunch? You know, we're, what, what's going on? And I, oh, I'm better than you. Yeah, and they just go back and forth. And, but he, Jesus marvels at this guy's faith. Again, somebody that's not even of Israel, and he makes that clear in verse 10. I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. This Roman centurion, this Gentile, 
has more faith in the character and the power of Jesus Christ than any of the religious leaders and even the disciples themselves. And that's where I picture the disciples getting all, what? You know, but not me, right, Lord? I mean, sure, Peter, but. And then Jesus says a couple of things. And these are subtle, but they're important. And and it would have been even more dramatic to the group of Jewish people that were surrounding Jesus on that day. Of course, first of all, he says that this guy has more faith than anyone he's come across in all of Israel. That's a, a pretty big shocker there. But then in verses 11 and 12, he says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the idea of the marriage supper of the lamb, that's the New Testament name for this heavenly dinner that will take place. That was not a new idea to them. They understood that. And they they talked about the idea that one day they would sit down with all of the saints of old in heaven to to dine together. And that was because eating a meal is very intimate. It was a big thing in the Jewish culture. It's still a big deal, right? I mean, you like to have people over that you love and you like sitting around. You just learn who they are, right? person, as they eat, you find out things, maybe things you didn't want to know. But it's, there's a closeness in sharing a meal. And that's the idea, is that this heavenly meal would take place with, with all of these people, the saints of old. But in the Jewish mindset, there were two things that they always pointed to that would be very clear about this dinner in heaven. First, there would be no Gentiles there. It would only be Israel. And the second is it would be all of Israel. Any person of Israel throughout all of history would be at this dinner, would be in heaven, and all the Gentiles would be kept out, kept away. And what Jesus says here demolishes both of those ideas. He says, many will come from the east and the west. That was a reference to the Gentiles, and they knew it. This dinner that we've always talked about, guess who's going to be there? The Gentiles from all over the world. But guess who won't be there? Many from the tribes of Israel. They will be kept out. And again, this is a shocker. This would have been something that could have brought people to tears. Understanding what Jesus was saying, that the Gentiles would be allowed in, but many in Israel would not. Again, Jesus could have played it safe. He could have said things in a gentler way, or he could have avoided saying them. He could have avoided doing them. But he goes out of his way, not just here. I mean, we see it in in just the beginning of chapter 8. We're going to see it through his entire ministry. He goes out of his way to break their rules. Again, not to do it arbitrarily, not to do it in a rebellious way, like I don't have to obey your rules. It always has to do with people. To show that people are more important than man-made rules. People are more important than social norms or expectations. And he's letting everybody there know that this, the faith of this centurion, is what he's looking for. And it's still what he's looking for. He tells him in verse 13, go your way. 
And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very hour. Again, not to, to jump into the whole idea of if you have enough faith, God will do whatever you want. That's not true. And it's not scriptural. But I think there is a principle here, again, that as we approach the Lord and as we approach prayer, that it will be done to us as we have believed. When I'm double-minded, when I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray this, but you're probably not going to do it, I shouldn't be surprised when he doesn't do it. <laughs> again, we, we yield to his sovereignty. We yield to his will and to his timing. But man, I want to approach the Lord's throne with that surety that he can come through. That as I have believed, so let it be done for me. Now with the leper and the centurion, again, these guys could not be further apart socially at all. You've got the lowest of the low, not just in Israel, but anywhere in the known world at that time. And then you've got this man of great power and authority. But both of them are brought to a place of absolute desperate humility. That what they need is beyond their ability, beyond anything that they can do. And that is a great place to finally get to. It's weird to me how we avoid it. How we're like, oh, well, you know, we try and keep that broken, humble place at a distance when it's really the best place for us to be. To choose that humility and to trust the Lord to do whatever is best, whatever is right. Just like the centurion, just like the leper, Man, it's where we need to get to. And I think it does change, right? There are some who might be in that place going, Lord, have I gone too far? Am I too unclean? Am I in a hopeless place? Lord, are you even willing to do what's necessary? And they're going to find that he is. Or like the centurion, seeking out the Lord on someone else's behalf, saying, Lord, I trust your authority. I trust you to do what's right. That you say the word and it'll be done, and I know that. And if you choose not to say the word, I'm okay with that too. But I'm going to seek you, believing that you are able, willing, and going to do a miracle. Man, he wants to meet us in that place. He wants to do a great work in us and through us, right? Again, that's what we see in the two of them. In the leopard, it was a work in him. And through the centurion, it was really through him because he was seeking on the behalf of somebody else. He still wants to do that work in us and through us today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, again, we are so grateful for your goodness, for the power that's in your word. And... uh, Lord, that you can be trusted, that you love us, that you have good things in mind. Even when we don't understand what you're doing, we can understand you. Help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people of desperate faith, that we would seek you with all we have and then let you do what you want to do. And uh, we just pray that you would help us to live these things out, have opportunities to share your love this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.